You're listening to the Assembly Call IU podcast and postgame show, the place where Indiana fans across the globe hang out online after every IU basketball game. Join us for our live broadcasts on Thursday nights and immediately following every IU game at our website, assemblycall.com. That's assemblycall.com. This episode of The Assembly Call is brought to you by SeatGeek. You know, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in literally just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed, which is great because there's really nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek is going to help you get closer to the action for great value. I used SeatGeek myself last basketball season here in Dallas to get tickets to go see Yogi Ferrell play, and I used them this offseason to buy my wife concert tickets so I can vouch for them from personal experience. They are my go-to app when I need tickets. SeatGeek saves me time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals, and they can do the same for you. And best of all, listeners to the Assembly Call get $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. All you have to do is download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code ASSEMBLY, A-S-S-E-M-B-L-Y, today. That's promo code ASSEMBLY, and you will get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And now, get ready for another brand new edition of the Assembly Call. And welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important IU basketball stories from the past seven days. This is our 50th edition of Assembly Call Radio, and it is our 343rd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of Thursday, October 26th, 2017. I am your host, Jared Morris. And let's begin this week how we begin every episode of the Assembly Call, and that is with our Hoosier Proud banner moment. Let's go back to Saturday night. Hoosier hysteria at Simon Scott Assembly Hall. There were songs, there were dances, there was a lukewarm dunk contest and a super quick shooting competition. And there were more than a few holy craps when people realized that this would be the final Hoosier hysteria for both Tyra Buss and Amanda Cahill, in addition to the five men's basketball seniors. But really, there were only ever going to be three things at Hoosier Hysteria that really, truly mattered for the big-picture success of the men's basketball team. One, did fans show up in enthusiastic droves? Of course they did, and no one doubted that they would. That was an easy box to check. Number two, did everyone who played in the scrimmage avoid injury? Yes, they did. Although, Duran, good lord, Please be more careful with Curtis Jones in the future. 
And three, did Indiana move the needle with the many blue chip recruits who were in attendance? And the answer to this seems to be a resounding yes. For example, Romeo Lankford's father, Tim, sure seemed a bit more effusive in his praise for Romeo's official visit to Indiana than he did in comments after Romeo's visits to UCLA, North Carolina, and Vanderbilt. And if you missed that, make sure you get caught up at Inside the Hall. And all the chatter about Darius Garland since Saturday has been that Indiana might have edged themselves close to neck and neck with Vanderbilt, his current hometown school. Some chatter even suggests Indiana has passed the Commodores. When national recruiting experts like the Nashville-based Jerry Meyer are switching their crystal ball picks from Vandy to Indiana, followed by several others doing the same, it sure feels like a positive wind is blowing in the direction of Bloomington. Add in the enthusiasm shared in comments by Robert Finnessy, Demise Anderson, and Jerome Hunter, and it's hard to call Hoosier hysteria anything other than a mammoth recruiting home run for Archie Miller and his staff. So now we wait. What will Darius decide, and what will Romeo decide? All I know is this. If the widely shared picture of those two in their Indiana jerseys proves to be accurate foreshadowing for next season's backcourt, then the distance between Archie and his first banner is going to feel a heck of a lot closer. And, well, that is the definition of a banner moment. All right, now let me introduce my esteemed co-hosts for this week's show. The gang is back together again. Feels like it's been forever. To my left, we have one of the world's most respected bracketologists, and certainly tonight the most decorated bracketologist among our panel here, as well as the hopeful president of the Robert Johnson Fan Club. He is Andy Bottoms. Andy, what is your Bottoms line from the past week in IU basketball? I appreciate the slightly veiled shot at me now that uh, Tonsoni is not on, so that was uh, well done. Uh, well done. <laughs> there wasn't much unnoticed. of a veil about it, I don't <laughs> <Yeah>. think. <laughs> well, for those who didn't listen to the other one, perhaps it was veiled. Uh, at any rate, um, that being said, uh, you know, I think the, the biggest thing for, for me is really looking forward to the exhibition game. Uh, you know, the hard part about the scrimmage, as we talked about before, uh, after it was over was, you know, but between the injuries and everything else, you couldn't get a really good idea of, you couldn't really construct a lineup that you'd probably see in a game, uh, particularly one that, you know, contained Robert Johnson and, and Juwan and Jerron Davis with, you know, kind of what you would expect a, a supporting cast of theirs to look like. So, uh, you know, Saturday's game will be our first chance to figure out what that looks like. And that to me is exciting. I think that to me gives a little bit better idea of where this team might really be defensively, what they want to do offensively. Uh, we just talked during those, you know, during the, the, post scrimmage discussion about how much seemed to be on Robert Johnson's plate because there just weren't other guys out there. So I think um, while it was great to see them and kind of whet our appetite for what was to come, I think Saturday will be while still an exhibition game and, and maybe something we can't read a ton into. Uh, I definitely think it's something that will, will give us a little bit more of a glimpse into what this team is going to look like on the floor uh, philosophically and, and, and how that's, Part of things is starting to come together, and it'll give us a better baseline that we can use to kind of judge things off of as we go forward. And to my right, ladies and gents, he is back. He's a man who just returned from a fortnight in his homeland of Italy, where instead of sleeping off a night of wine and gelato, he actually woke up at 1.30 a.m. local time to stream Hoosier Hysteria on his laptop because he's just that dedicated. He is a columnist for the big lead, and if he seems a bit disoriented, you will have to forgive him because the recent realization that some of the most famous Renaissance artists in history were actually named after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has really rocked his world. He is Ryan Phillips. Ryan, I'm sure you have plenty of pent-up opinions after your hiatus. What is your IU Hoops-related rant this week? 
I, I think it has to be about the recruiting. I, I really do think that the reviews of Hoosier Hysteria were, um, you know, it was five star all the way around from the recruits. And I think that's a huge, huge deal because these recruits, you know, they see stuff like this. They see big recruiting pitches. They see, you know, all the razzle dazzle on official visits. They see it all. And, and, they were generally the the main guys who were there would be Romeo Langford, Darius Garland, Keon Brooks Jr. Um, they all came away raving about it and 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 sort of, you know, almost explaining how it was next level and it was different and it was something special and all that. These guys have seen three ring circuses at these schools. And, and, and so the fact that Archie Miller and his staff put on such a great show uh, and, and were so and the fans too, you know, got involved and, and made them feel special uh, is a big deal, especially because, uh, you know, I wrote this at the big lead and I'm sure we'll talk about it, but it, Archie needs a signature recruit. I mean, every, every coach in his, you know, first year or his first couple of years at a school needs that linchpin guy to build around. And, and um, you know, so going and getting one of those guys is very important, especially early to set the tone as a recruiter. Um, and the fact that those guys all came away so impressed uh, with what they saw is is really genuinely an enormous deal uh, that shows that that Miller and his staff can can compete with the big programs nationally. All right. Well, here's what we're going to discuss this week. We will talk a little bit more about recruiting, what we're hearing and what it could all mean. Uh, we will also discuss the preseason Ken Palm projections, which are out. I crunched the numbers on how Indiana has fared recently against their preseason projections and how Archie Miller's Dayton teams have fared, and you are not going to want to miss these results. Plus, we dissect what the projections suggest about Indiana's non-conference schedule. Then we provide a few additional reflections on the Hoosier Hysteria scrimmage. Andy and I obviously dove deep on this in the post-scrimmage show, which, if you missed, was episode 342 of the Assembly Call. But we'll now get to add Ryan's thoughts to the mix, and then we will answer your questions Lots of good ones were submitted this week, so we look forward to getting to those. All of that coming here on Assembly Call Radio. Before we jump into all of that, I do have a quick little special announcement, really a humble request on behalf of our entire team. Today marks the beginning of our annual preseason donation drive. Now, we are a fully independent production here at the Assembly Call, so we rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going, and to keep our show growing. And while the support of our sponsors obviously helps, the majority of our support comes from our audience, and frankly, we like it that way. Because while our love for IU basketball is what got us going seven years ago, what keeps us coming back year after year and motivated to keep improving the show is the relationship that we have developed with you, our loyal listeners and viewers. So if we have earned your trust and your appreciation for our IU basketball coverage, then we simply ask that you consider donating. Any amount helps, and we have set up three different secure donation options on our website, which you can find at assemblycall.com donate. And so far today, a bunch of people have set up recurring donations, and the most popular one-time donation amounts have been $10, $25, $50, and $250. There were multiple uh, $250 donations came in. Obviously, we appreciate those and all donations so much. Uh, and one thank awesome you person. Guys. Yeah, no, thank you a ton. Uh, one awesome person, and you know who you are, submitted a donation for $213 in honor of every day Archie Miller has been Indiana's coach. I asked her if we could lock that same rate in for you know 25 years from now when Archie is still on the sideline hanging banners in Bloomington. 
And her response is that I better get the money up front because when we hang our next banner, not if, but when, she would probably have a heart attack from the excitement. So that was a great response and a great donation. Thank you. Uh, But anyway, this donation drive, like I said, it starts today. It goes through next Friday, October 3rd. Our goal is $4,000. And as of right now, we're actually more than halfway there in less than a day because you all are amazing uh, in how much you support us. It really is incredible, and just so you know, your donations will help us cover our costs during the season, as well as help us fund our annual trip to Bloomington for a game and meetup, which this year will be in late February for the Ohio State game, Senior Night, uh, and obviously we hope to see as many of you there as possible. So again, I- the URL is assemblycall.com donate, and if you enjoy what we do here at the Assembly Call, please consider supporting us with whatever amount works for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. What were you going to say, Ryan? Uh, I have an announcement that I am donating my entire high dollar salary to uh, the donation drive. So every pay- every paycheck I get for this show going to the donation drive. You guys are welcome. We are fifteen dollars closer to our goal, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you are I listening. never said it was a lot of money. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. So guys, let's wrap up talking about recruiting here because it's obviously the biggest story of the week. My guess is that you guys are hearing a lot of the same things that I am hearing. And, you know, a lot of this is very public chatter. You know, like I mentioned in the banner moment, Jerry Meyer, you know, switching his crystal ball pick uh, away uh, from Vanderbilt uh, for Darius Garland to Indiana and for Romeo Langford to Indiana. You're starting to see some of that. And, you know, look, we're going to have to see how it plays out. All I can say is after, you know, trying not to get too excited about either recruitment, I'm finally to the point where I'm allowing myself to be optimistic based off the stuff that I'm hearing. And I I take that as a good sign. But Ryan, you know, I'm curious, you wrote a post on the big lead and you mentioned this about how important Romeo Langford is. You know, we saw Tom Crean get his signature recruit in Cody Zeller. How would you compare the impact of Romeo Langford to, say, a recruit like what Cody Zeller meant to Tom Crean? You know, I, I think that what I wrote there was that, you know, Romeo Langford isn't a must get. I, I think this is a solid recruiting class already. You know, it's not like this is a barren recruiting class and they have to get this guy. I, I think that the, the recruiting class with Thomas Bryant, they sort of had to get Thomas Bryant because there was no other center coming in on the roster uh, two years ago or whatever that was now. I don't even remember this whole last couple of years have really melded into each other. But um, I, I would say that I think he could be the biggest recruit nationally to commit uh, anywhere because of his importance to Indiana basketball. If he went there, look, if he goes to Duke or, you know, let's, I'm just throwing out a school name uh, or Kansas or something. It's not that big a deal for them. It's an enormous deal to Indiana. If he gets them um, because it sets the tone. And what it says is it tells those other high value recruits, Hey, you can trust these guys to, you know, uh, for your development and and taking you to the next level. And I'm willing to trust these guys with their ability, get me to the NBA with their ability to help develop me. And I trust them to be competitive in college basketball as well. So you saw it with Cody Zeller. As soon as Cody Zeller committed, it was okay for other high value recruits to come. Yogi Ferrell committed. Uh, you got Troy Williams was sort of one of the, you know, in the mix there as well. And, and there was just sort of a string of high value recruits that committed. Noah Vonley's there, uh, you know, Thomas Bryant, James Blackman Jr. I mean, they all were able to commit and they opened, and, but Cody Zeller opened that door really. And, and I think that 
Romeo Lankford certainly could be that guy. It also means more to Indiana because he's an Indiana kid, because they were going head to head with Louisville, who is now out of it. Uh, they were, you know, Kentucky was involved. Duke was involved. It, it, you know, it matters to win a recruiting battle against those schools and the message that sends to everybody else that Indiana can be a player for big time recruits, uh, especially this quickly in Archie Miller's tenure. That's a big, big deal. And I think that his commitment would be the most important commitment nationally uh, in this year's cycle. Well, and I think the other thing for any does, school, not just Indiana, for any school. Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing that 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 does, and you touched on it a little bit, was you know starts to let other recruits know they can trust that. It also gives the staff their first shot at a guy like that, um, that they can you know, that they can, you know, take those guys and, and help them reach the next level. And, and that starts to become a pattern as well. So not only can you trust them to go, you can trust them to get you to get the recruits to where they want to be, uh, even after they would leave Indiana. And so you don't get that chance until you get one or two of them in the door. And, and so these would be, you know, the first opportunities to do that. And if they are one and done players, you know, that can kind of, uh, you know, speed things up pretty quickly as you start getting more of those kinds of guys in and, and really adding those to what he's already built in terms of a good foundation that's, uh, that's there. The other thing to remember about the Zeller recruitment is he wasn't Crean's first big recruit. You know, Tom Crean had landed Christian Watford and Maurice Creek, who were big-time four-star recruits. And it's almost like getting those guys made it okay for Cody Zeller to come to Indiana. And then that made it okay for other guys. And the, the comparison I'm making there is, you know, would Indiana, would Archie have been able to make up this ground this fast with Romeo if he didn't have Demise Anderson and Jerome Hunter and Robert Finnessy locked down, you know, and, and now, Race Thompson and Jake Forrester to show, hey, we've got good guys coming. You'll obviously come and be the top ranked guy and, you know, probably the guy that we're going to play through. But look, you're not the first one. Other guys have shown this, too. And so I think there's e- even more parallels there. I agree that that helps. But I think that, that you know, you can get as many of those four-star guys as you want, but when you get a guy that everybody in the nation wants and everybody in the nation is working for, it's 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 a different level. Yeah, yeah no, 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 I it. agree. I'm just no, saying and it, I know you, it, I it know makes you it do. more likely to get that that guy that you've sure. gotten some of the other guys. So Archie's no, no, built I, it well, is what I mean. I agree with that, but you've seen guys in the past and, and, and top coaches get a few of those four-star guys, but once you get that next-level dude, that takes things to a whole new level. It puts you in the mix for a whole other classification of recruit. That's why yeah. Darius Garland is such a big deal for Vanderbilt. If they get him, they can say, look, we've got a great academic school. We've got you know a, a, a guy that we're building around here in Garland, and we clearly are able to you know go after these guys and get an next level. That would change the game for Vanderbilt as well. So you know these guys are that important to these individual schools, whereas this is just another guy for Duke or Kansas or whoever else that's going to come through play and then head to the NBA. So, yep. um, no, I do agree with you that, that, that he's laid the groundwork to get a five-star guy, but once you get that guy, that catapults everything to the next level. Yep. All righty. Like we said, the preseason Ken Palm numbers are out. I've got some numbers you don't want to miss, and Andy's a little concerned about what they might mean for Indiana's non-conference schedule. That is next. Stick with us here on the Assembly Call. Hey, just a real quick note here. The next time that you are going to shop online for IU gear, use the URL iustore.shop. That will take you to the official IU online store where they have anything you could possibly want. Candy stripe pants, the Script Indiana warm-up shirt, all kinds of IU gear. And that URL, iustore.shop, is actually our affiliate URL. So when you use it, 
and buy something, we get paid a commission. So it's a great way for you to shop for the IU gear that you need and to support the assembly call at the same time. Again, the URL is iustore.shop. Please bookmark it and use it the next time you're looking to buy IU gear. We appreciate it. Now back to the show. You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on The Assembly Call IU postgame show. Don't forget, if you ever have to miss all or part of an episode of Assembly Call Radio, there are two great ways to catch up. You can subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Assembly Call. Or you can join our live Thursday night broadcast or watch the video replays by subscribing to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash assemblycall. All right, guys, so the Ken Palm preseason projections are out. Indiana is ranked 65th, and that is actually the lowest preseason ranking for Indiana since 2011, and that, of course, was the last season pre-Zeller. Now, I went back and looked at how Indiana has done against those preseason projections and how Archie Miller did at Dayton against those preseason projections, and the data is pretty interesting and I think overall pretty encouraging for Indiana fans. So, Since 2011, Indiana has outperformed its Ken Palm projection three times. They did it by 13 spots in 2011, by 41 spots in 2012, and by two spots in the better-than-advertised season of 2016. In the same time period, Indiana has fallen short of its Ken Palm expectations three times, and pretty widely, by 38 spots in 2014, by 22 spots in 2015, and by 28 spots last year. In total, Indiana's average is falling short of its Ken Palm projection by 4.6 spots over those seven, eight seasons, however many it is. Now, this 65th ranking is actually Archie Miller's lowest preseason projection since 2014. Interestingly enough, that team outperformed its projection by 28 spots and made the Elite Eight. Now, that's not just an anomaly. That is a trend for Archie Miller coach teams. So in Archie Miller's six seasons at Dayton, he outperformed the Ken Palm projection every year but one, and that was last year when he missed it by just two spots. But on average, Archie's Dayton teams outperformed their Ken Palm prediction by 15 spots, and the biggest differences actually came back in his first three seasons, which is, you know, if you think about it, when expectation was before expectations were raised. So after he had taken over, before he had gotten all of his recruits in there, the preseason projections weren't as high, but they consistently outperformed them. And so to me, there's a couple takeaways from this. A few takeaways. Obviously, Indiana, three out of the last four years, has done a really poor job of turning talent into victories. We know that. That's why there's a new coach. But when you look at what Archie's done at Dayton, number one, it shows you that even once the expectations are raised, he does a good job of getting his team to play at them or even above them. And that was especially impressive once the expectations got raised at Dayton. But for the immediate time at Indiana, what he showed at Dayton is that he can take over a program, have lowered expectations, and take guys he didn't recruit and get them to play much better than what people think. And that, to me, bodes well for Indiana's potential ability this year to outperform their ranking of 65th, which I certainly think they're going to, and I think you guys think that they're going to as well. So I thought those were some interesting numbers and some encouraging numbers for Hoosier fans entering the season. Uh, Andy, your thoughts? 
Uh, I just was starting to research where the uh, regionals will be held so I can make sure travel plans can be made accordingly for the Elite Eight run. I think that was, that was, I like that was my big takeaway from what you just said. The last time it was that, then it led to the Elite Eight. So I, that seemed reasonable. No, I think, um, I mean, obviously that, that bodes well um, for, for what Archie's been able to do. And I think in some ways validates, you know, I don't know that we've ever looked at that. Um but I think it certainly would validate some of the feelings that we've had over these, you know, these last handful of seasons of felt like there should have been more uh, that was there at the end. And and probably in some people's minds validates their thoughts about what Tom Crean is as a as a coach. And, um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to see what Archie can do there. I think the the preseason projections, there's obviously in, in Pomeroy, you know, tweeted out some links to his you know previous previous things that he's written on you know, potential flaws in the, in it and just kind of how his methodology works, but, um, probably not terribly surprising to see IU fall that far. When you think about, uh, their performance last year, which factors in, and then what they lost from that team, not having, uh, any kind of big time recruits that really moved the needle on it, probably not terribly shocking as to where they are. And, and hopefully, uh, that trend will continue for Archie and he can, a, a, you know, work his magic relatively quickly and, uh, and get him moving up because we learned that he'll be watching to see how, uh, how quickly they can rise in the rankings. He is going to join us for our Ken Palm segment on the post game show so that we can all watch them update live. Uh, you might've missed that Ryan while you were gone, but Archie loves Ken Palm checks it all the time and actually gets emotional. He said about it when the team goes we up have, or down. So we now have an open invite that he can get on yeah. with us after games and we can all just sit around awesome. and hit the refresh button on the site. So uh, it's really something <laughs> to look forward to. <laughs> oh, I'm looking forward to that. <clears throat> Your thoughts uh, on these numbers, You know, what right? that what that says to me uh, with the, the trend, I mean, I'm not going to comment on where they're ranked right now because I don't think anybody knows where this team is going to be. Uh, let's face it. Uh, you know, everything is a guess right now. Um, I think they're easy to put down in the rankings because you can assume that some of the key players are gone um, and some of the uh, guys who have come back have underachieved a little bit. And so it's easy to put them down. We don't know where this team is going to go. I mean, we have no feel for what this team is going to be. We don't even know what the rotation is going to be. So, you know, preseason rankings are not exactly worth a whole lot when you're dealing with a team like this, new coach, new system, and a lot of guys playing in roles they probably haven't before and being relied upon in ways they haven't before. So um, that's why I think it's instructive to look at what the coach has done sure. with his history because that's really all we have to go on. And some yeah, ways. and that's where I was going to get. That's where I was going to go next was that I think that what it says if you look at those numbers is that Archie Miller's teams do one of two things: they either overachieve or they get better as seasons go go along. And, and I think that both of those are important. Uh, both of those things are important. You want a team to achieve at a higher level than it's projected to always. If you underachieve, it means you have a disappointing season. Overachieve, I mean, it's not always about winning a championship. If you overachieve from what you were supposed to be, that's a good job. Now, of course, the goal is to win a championship, win the Big Ten and things like that. But, you know, you're not going to have that roster every year. It's just not the way that things work. You want to see a a team consistently overachieving its mark every year. And you also want to see a team that improves as the season goes along. And those are the two things those projections tell me about Archie Miller. It's that his team is doing one of those two things. They're either just overachieving or they're improving as the year goes along. And that's who they were at the beginning and they got better or they were better than people thought at the beginning. So it's one of those two and both of them are positive. You're listening to the assembly column, Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips and Andy bottoms. I mean, I really get the sense with this year's team, and look, obviously we'll know more as we see them play in the exhibition games and as we see the, the games start, 
I agree with you, Ryan. We don't really know where this team is. And I frankly, like I'm okay with some of the lower projections, you know, from people who maybe aren't that close to the program. And I understand why people like us are maybe a little bit more bullish, you know, having some more faith in some of the individuals than others do. But I really get the sense that this is going to be a team that is probably going to struggle early, especially as they learn a new defensive system, especially as they learn a new offensive system and try to gel. And they may take on a few losses early, but that's why I think patience among the fan base is so important because I really think the potential is there with the talent and the coach and what the coach has shown that this can be a pretty good team by late January, February, March. We just may have to go through some struggles early on to get there. But that doesn't that isn't necessarily a negative. That's just what this group is going to have to go through under new leadership. Yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, I think for- that's... I think that's it's a fair assessment. I mean, you know, there is the talent there, certainly. And I think that a lot of guys last year, uh, you know, didn't perform to the level they're supposed to. I just wanted to give someone a square for Ryan interrupting Andy there. Yeah, so no, I, I, I was there like, was enough there was enough dead air there that I was going to fill it. Somehow. Yeah, I liked how he kind of hung back and then waited until. Yeah, no, I think one, you know one of the things uh, I think Cliff Marshall even talked about was um, you know trying to get these guys where they're playing you know kind of physically you know peaking later in the season, uh, and I think that really corresponds to it maybe even with some things that Archie had said as well. So I think that's uh, you know something he's got from a you know, just a strategic standpoint and, and really wants to shoot for those times that these guys are playing well. So I think your thought process of how that all might play out, you know, lines up with uh, what it sounds like his expectations are and, and what he's typically tried to get his teams to do. All right. So, Andy, we don't have enough time in this segment to talk about the non-conference stuff, but let's hit that in the next segment. But in about 30 seconds, do you want to give kind of an overview of how those projections maybe impact what Indiana's non-conference schedule looks like now? Yeah, I mean, I think in large part, it it reaffirms some things that we already knew. You know, there's four really big games on the schedule, and those teams all rate out really well. Um, But I think as you start to get more numbers around some of these other teams, there's, uh, you know, I think it just shifts even more importance onto those four because there aren't a lot of uh, quality wins to be had in the uh, the remaining uh, eight, I believe, non-conference games that are out there. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up on the assembly call, we will pick up that discussion and analyze Indiana's non-conference schedule. And then we will also jump in, talk a little bit more about the scrimmage. And we have a ton of questions from you. We'll get to those next as well. Stick with us. You are listening to The Assembly Call. Go to assemblycall.com slash join right now or whenever it's convenient to learn how to subscribe to our email newsletter. Because if you want to get more out of being an IU basketball fan, then you need to be on our newsletter list. You will get our weekly Six Banner Sunday news roundups as well as our postgame analysis emails once the season begins, which is coming soon. It is all free and it will make you a smarter IU basketball fan. Again, the URL is assemblycall.com slash join. Unless, of course, you're like Ryan and you already know everything and then you don't need to be on the email list because there's nothing else that we can teach you. I'm Jared Morris. Why would you do that? (laughs) Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on the Assembly Call IU postgame show. Andy, let's go back to you and let's pick up the discussion uh, about the schedule and kind of what your analysis has turned up here now that the Ken Palm projections are out. Yeah, so basically what I usually try to do as things get closer to the uh, to the season is is try to take a good cross-section of the preseason uh, predictions. So whether those be magazines, different, uh, different online outlets, things like that, and just kind of average them together, thinking that in the end, teams will probably shake out about where, they, about where the, those would suggest. So 
you know, I think as we all knew going in, there's really those big four non-conference games between Duke, Louisville, Notre Dame, and Seton Hall. And all those teams are top 30 Ken Palm teams in the projections, top 30 in the the CBS rankings that Matt Norlander put out this week. Um, and and really, as you look at those, those games are every bit as big and as important as, as we thought they would be. I think, you know, Duke, a consensus number one. I haven't seen anything that doesn't have them picked, you know, first in the ACC. Uh, Louisville is a little bit harder to get a read on. I think everybody's struggling to figure out where they would uh, should shake out. Both why is that? Andy? With yeah, well, interestingly, um, has there been know, any news about them in the off season that I have yeah. missed? Uh, no, no. Rick Pitino is just going about his business, just like a normal guy. Um, but with a quick fifteen second Google search, I'm sure you can find out what you need. All right, All right. I'll check that. I have been out of absolutely. the country. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, they're they're one that's a little bit hard to figure out. I think you know that Brian Bowen not being on the team. Uh, in addition to all the other things swirling around them are, you know, make puts them in limbo a little bit. I think Notre Dame, in a lot of cases, picked to be, you know, fourth, fifth in the ACC. Uh, and then Seton Hall, you know, typically in the the mix for behind Villanova. I've seen a couple of things, seen things have them as high as second, others as low as fourth. But there's a pretty clear top four uh, in the Big East. But again, kind of a top 30 team by any measure. Um, so I think, it, you know, the importance on those games is really magnified, though, because if you you know, you go 0 and 4 in those games, which we certainly hope won't happen. There really isn't a lot left to kind of pick up the pieces with. Um, as you look, uh, I, I tried to rank these in some order. You know, kind of the the next best team is in Eastern Michigan. That's right around it's 146 in Ken Palm. They're picked to be third in the in the Western Division of the MAC, uh, a league that's ranked 16th by uh, you know the preseason Pomeroy rankings. Um, that's really the best one of them. Uh, you've got Indiana State, who's you know averages out to be about eighth in the Missouri Valley. Could be a middle of the pack team, maybe maybe a little bit higher than eighth, but but likely not to be a top tier team there. But apparently, beat know. Illinois in a secret scrimmage. Well, according to Twitter reports, to, well that's you know might speak to Illinois as much as it does anything. So yeah, they could be better, but you know again, I'm not sure if they uh, you know end up being you know can they finish fourth in that league? Maybe, which would be a pretty good win uh, at, at that point. Um, you know, but they're around 200 in Ken Palm. IPFW is ranked, uh, you know, a little bit higher in Ken Palm, around 150. They're picked right in the middle of the pack in the Summit League. Arkansas State, kind of middle of the pack in the Sun Belt, right around 200 in both sets of, you know, CBS and Ken Palm. Tennessee Tech, middle of the pack in the OVC, around 230th in both. Then you get to teams like South Florida, which is a uh, unanimous last place uh, pick for the uh, American Athletic Conference. So a good conference. Um, you know, ranked seventh in Ken Palm, but not a, they they are not expected to be good at all. Youngstown, they're basically State, Rutgers. Yeah, basically, basically. Except if 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 well, South Florida actually has a, a decent football team. So I was going to make a joke about Rutgers. Purdue losing to Rutgers, but uh, Purdue actually losing to Rutgers it really needs no further explanation. So um, yeah, you've got that. And then Youngstown State, middle of the pack on the horizon. Uh, and then you know Howard, the MEAC is typically one of the worst conferences, and they're picked. You know middle to to kind of lower half of that league so i you could very easily win all eight of those games and i would certainly hope that they would um it just becomes really important to win one of those three um and i don't know which one you know seems most likely jared has gone on record as predicting the duke one is the win so if you win that everything else is is gravy at that point but um i do think it's a a storyline to watch between those and a couple early season big 10 games against michigan and iowa who are both um you know kind of top half teams in the in the league Th- those are going to be pretty important just to kind of get some momentum uh, as they get into the, the meat of the schedule. Number one team counting on a lot of freshmen coming into Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Bring it on. 
so, exciting, right? So let me, let me ask you this, Andy. I mean, is this a little because look, this schedule is better, right? You only have one, you know, team one sub three hundred team. You know, your two hundred teams, they're at least not like in the two eighties. They're kind of mid tier two hundred teams. You know, and you've got a few kind of hundreds mixed in there. So this schedule is better, although it's not quite maybe as as better in terms of like the initial rankings as we thought. Um, is that is that fair to say? And is it fair to expect that the schedule will probably get better uh, as seasons move forward and Archie has even more control over it uh, with more time yeah, to handpick these I, games? I would definitely say so. I mean, it sounded like even in some of the things that we we heard that it was it was a challenge to put together the schedule on a timeline that they had. So what I think they did in large part was take teams um, from reasonably good leagues. I mean, as I look through the league rankings on Ken Palm, there's very few that are outside of there's 32 leagues, I believe. And so, you know, all but two of these are from top 18 leagues. So I think that's a positive because, you know, the RPI is based on who you beat and who the teams you beat beat um, and, who you know, who those teams play. So so getting teams in better conferences certainly helps. Um, the MIAC one, you know, is what it is. Um, but there are fewer of those kinds of games, which I think is important. I think if things, you know, and you just have to hope at some point that one of these teams overachieves and gets more toward the top tier uh, of these leagues, at which point it becomes a good win. If they end up where they, they show as being now, you've probably got a pretty big, you know, chasm between, you know, these top teams that you played and then everybody else where you might not have very many other like, you know, top 150 uh, type wins uh, against these teams. You might have a lot of these teams ranked in the you know 150 to 250 range, which, again, is a far cry from the you know sub 250 teams that we've seen uh, in the past. But I, I would agree with you that probably not as good as we would hope to see in years moving forward. And with all that said, I will still reiterate. Going to need to have some patience with this team. I think, you know, a team like Indiana State, they're coming into Simon Scott Assembly Hall. It's a game Indiana should win. They probably will win. You know, they should win it by 10, 15 points. But again, with the transition, new coach, all that stuff, if this team struggles a little bit early, you know, some of these teams like Indiana State are good enough to make it a game. So just because, you know, there may be, you know, the 150s, the 160s, doesn't mean they're not good enough to give Indiana a game. So it's important to maintain that perspective as we go through this non-conference. All right, you are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips. Now we're going to transition to a few lingering observations from the Hoosier Hysteria scrimmage. Obviously, Andy and I dove deep on this in our last episode of The Assembly Call, number 342. Yes, we did a post-game show for the scrimmage because that's how crazy we are for our Hoosiers uh, and how excited we are for this season. Uh, and we were joined on that by the coach, Brian Tonsoni, who provided a lot of insight. The one man missing, of course, was Ryan Phillips, who was in Italy during it. And so, Ryan, we want to give you this opportunity uh, to claim credit for discovering Devontae Green in the scrimmage. Uh, so if you would like to step up now and, and make that claim, we'd like to cede the floor to you to do that. I've, I've been saying for a long time Devontae Green was underrated and that I thought that he might eventually be the point guard of this team uh, when things got worked out. So, uh, you know, just trying to wipe a little dust off my shoulder there. It's uh, no, I look at Devante. I think is a guy who's got, uh, who's got a really good chance to be a great uh, college basketball player, uh, a very good college basketball player. I'll say. And I think that uh, his commitment to defense is what's going to get him on the floor. And then I think that he's got enough talent uh, offensively and has the ability to develop uh, offensively and become a really nice player for Indiana. And I think that that showed in the scrimmage that, that he's improved. I thought he and Curtis Jones were the two bright spots that, that look like a vast improvements uh, at Hoosier Hysteria for me. I don't know about what you guys thought. 
Andy, what are your lingering uh, observations from the scrimmage? Anything we didn't get a chance to get to in the show? No, I mean, I think looking back on it, I think Devontae to me was really the, the biggest takeaway because I think you could could very easily create a scenario that he either works his way into the starting lineup in, in relatively short order if he keeps that up or at the very least becomes a very reliable ball handler that you could bring in off bring off the bench and, and really feel confident in. So I think those are the positive things. I think as you continue to hear, you know, Archie talk about him and things like that, I, I think he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, Archie really likes and, and the guy who's probably got the biggest uh, opportunity to, to get to play a lot more than maybe we would have thought he would have, you know, as we, you know, kind of led up to it. What would be great. Uh, like, let me just jump in real quick. What would be great is if he and Curtis Jones develop some chemistry in the backcourt can be sort of right now, the first guys off the bench in the backcourt and maybe develop enough chemistry. We start seeing them play 15, 20 minutes a game. Maybe, you know, as you said, Devonte edges into a starting role, but you got to see those two connect with chemistry because they could be the backcourt next year. Um, we don't know how things are going to play out in recruiting, but it looks like those two could be, you know, key pieces in the backcourt to go along with Deron Davis in front court. I mean, you know, that could be a pretty nice tandem uh, to go along with those guys. So uh, given their athleticism and their ability to defend and then their ability to create things on the offensive end, I think that'd be really fun to watch. I want to ma- make this point about Devonte too. And look, I was really excited by what he did. I think the fact that, all the reports about him in practice have been glowing. He's the guy who got the gold jersey. Like, that kind of shows you this wasn't just one good night for him. But I think it is important to remember that, you know, in, in Indiana's televised practice last year, he was kind of the breakout star and played really well. And I can't remember where I heard this today. I listened to a whole bunch of Indiana content today. So this might, might have been Alex Bozich or Jeff Rabjohns or somebody said this on a podcast. So I apologize to whoever I'm lifting this from. Uh, but, you know... Devonte is going is the type of guy on Indiana's roster who's going to shine in that type of environment where it's kind of up and down. You know the defense isn't really in yet. You know a, a, a guy who's got that type of game. You know who's maybe a little bit quicker to the basket has some shake to it. Uh, he's going to shine in that environment. Whereas some of what he did may not necessarily translate to a regular season game if you know he doesn't make some of the adjustments that we talked about him making after last season. So you know I, I'm. As excited about Devonte as anybody, I think he's really showed that he's going to push for minutes. Uh, but I think we might be getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, you know, saying he's ready to start right now. I think it still would be a good idea to ease him in, let a senior like Josh Newkirk take that responsibility early, and then let's see what Devonte can do and give him more and more responsibility as we go. And look, if he proves that he can take what he did, what he's done in the practice court and in that scrimmage into regular season games with more consistency. Because that was the key last year. We saw flashes. It was all about the consistency. Then I agree, and I think he's a guy who's going to be a huge part of this team's, uh, you know, the the, the present uh, 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 play for this team and its future. But I just think we need to calm down just maybe a tad from from the scrimmage. Since when are you the wet blanket on enthusiasm? Jeez. Well, I mean, <laughs> what, what, what happened just, while I was I was on? thinking the same thing. I'm just trying man. to I'm just trying to be a little bit realistic. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I'm excited about him too, but I'm just saying That has never been your shtick. <laughs> it's it's not shtick. It's just <laughs> I don't know. You haven't been around, man, and we're all a little off right, kilter. Man, I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here anymore. We need, God you know, guy is a kid and his expectations just go right down the tubes man i don't oh <sighs> okay something about late nights and a lack of sleep do that to somebody yeah but you don't hear me complaining about it 
Uh, <laughs> you know, it's clearly coming out in other ways, yeah. right? All right. Uh, okay, this segment is off the rails. We're going to our final segment. We've got a lot of great questions from you. We are going to answer that next in our final segment here on the Assembly Call. Stick with us. <laughs> You are listening to The Assembly Call. I'm Jared Morris here with Andy Bottoms and Ryan Phillips, my co-hosts on The Assembly Call IU postgame show, wrapping up another edition of Assembly Call Radio. And we have reserved this final segment for your questions. You sent in a lot of good ones, and so let's start going through those now. Gentlemen, the first question is from Jeff, uh, and he says, As the exhibition against Marion approaches, what would you deem a success? Also, how excited is Ryan to be able to interrupt Andy again? Uh, the second really part of that, the answer to that, yeah, pretty excited, clearly. Yeah, uh, thrilled. So you, I think you guys know my standard answer on this because it's the same thing I say for all exhibition games. Just get out of it healthy. That's what I would deem a success. Everybody healthy. Get some good work in. That's kind of the main thing. And obviously you want to win the game too and not have some, you know, skies falling moment. Um, but even if you lose, the most important thing is just keep everybody healthy. So that's what I would deem a success. Uh, Ryan, what's success for you against Marion? I'd like to see some offensive continuity, um, you know, some flow and, and maybe it doesn't even, they don't even have to, it's not even scoring points or making shots or anything like that. It's just, it's just to look like they know where they're supposed to be. Um, cause that would tell you that maybe they're further along in, in learning the system. Uh, cause that's going to be it all year for, for, you know, through December, it's going to be, how are they learning the system? How are they progressing? How are they fitting into their roles? Um, you know, that's going to be a big deal this whole year since it's the first year with a new coach. So uh, I would say, you know, some continuity, maybe uh, looking like they know where they're supposed to be defensively as well with a new defensive system, uh, you know, using the pack, utilizing the pack line. Do these guys have the instincts for it? Do they know where they're supposed to be? Are they helping to the right spots? All that. So, you know, it's, it's a lot more visual stuff than actual points, numbers, statistics, any of that, just looking that they're in the flow of things and that they look like, look comfortable and, and maybe that they're finally, you know, settling in. And after your long absence, you clearly cleared your entire schedule to be there with us for the post game show. Correct. Yeah, no, seems like that'll be all right. <laughs> Stay around off air for the real answer, uh, Andy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would, I would echo what Ryan said. I, I think you just want to start to see, and, and even like I said in the opening, I, I'm more interested to see lineups that we're likely to see in games this year. Um, so I guess I don't know how you deem that a success, but as you start, you know, do you start to see some of the rotation shake out just a little bit, or at least um, get an understanding of where guys stand today? Because I just don't really feel like because of the the scrimmage, uh, you know, setup and the injuries that were there. It was really, it was really difficult to uh, to kind of figure out what what a lineup might look like together, um, where you've actually got you know five guys who who aren't are going to shoot the ball on the floor and, and things like that. So I think that'll be for me just just starting to see what the philosophy really is going to be once we get going. All right, next question from Craig. I know you've covered this some, but we have more info now. Do you start Green in a three guard lineup and bring in Hartman as the sixth man, or do you start Hartman? It's kind of an impossible question to answer, not being there in practice. Um, Except that you just answered it because you said the notion of starting Devontae Green that I that I brought up yeah, yeah. was uh, I, was ludicrous. And I'm not I, I changing like it. I'm not changing it. I'm just acknowledging that for us to speak authorit- authoritatively on this, we should acknowledge the limits of our of what we know and, and defer to the coaches. So if if look if Archie Miller does decide to start Devontae Green, I'm not going to come on here and say it's the wrong decision. Clearly, he will have seen things in practice that suggest that. That is right. Uh, but just knowing what I know and kind of deferring to seniors, 
I would start Newkirk and I would put Hartman in the lineup too, but we don't know what it'll look like. Maybe you need a senior like Hartman to stabilize the bench and he ends up, you know, coming, you know, playing better off the bench. We don't, you know, we'll have to see how all of that shakes out. Um, I think, you know, my answer to Craig would be we do have some info, but I'd like to have even more info before we answer this. Um, and my default answer is still going to be to Newkirk. Um, do, do you guys feel strongly either Newkirk way? Newkirk and Hartman, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, to the seniors. Uh, no, I, I, I think that Hartman should start. I think that the question for Green will be Newkirk. You know, is, does he start over Newkirk? I, I don't. Th- I think the Hartman's got to be in the starting lineup. I think that he has shown enough, if he's healthy, it, it, he's shown enough in his years here that uh, he's a very solid Big Ten player and he's a guy who can help you get wins uh, by doing all those Colin Hartman things that we've talked about for years. So yeah. I, I think that you've got to start him. Um, whether or not Devontae Green eventually works his way in the starting lineup is a different story. I mean, Curtis Jones could work his way into the starting We don't. We we don't know how it's going to play out, uh, but I would say I think that uh, that yeah I think that it's it's Colin Hartman's going to be in the starting lineup uh, when things open this year. Andy, any any yeah, further I mean, thoughts? Yeah, given some of the comments about wanting to play through Hartman a little bit more on the offensive end, I, I definitely feel like he would have a leg up uh, on that. And I think you know again we'll start to see defensively, but you know where the the pack line you're sagging off a little bit with some of these guys. I don't know that you need another guy that you really is is more suited to you know really kind of pressure the ball i don't know that you really need you know two to three of those guys on the floor at the same time the way that at least my understanding of the way the off or the defense is likely to look yep all right let's go next to derek's question and so derek says that we are picked so low because of the losses obviously the player losses mainly points and he's wondering statistically what did we lose points plus rebounds plus assists versus points allowed and turnovers etc plus or minus Andy, you looked at this from a plus-minus perspective, and I thought this data was pretty interesting, and all caveats for the limitations of plus-minus, but for a quick look at what Indiana is missing off of last year's team, I think it, it provides some interesting data. So what did you find here in response to Derek's question? Yeah, so basically I took you know what I used to, to do all the lineup analysis last year, uh, which I actually thought I, I just kind of toward the end of the season just gave up on because the season was so miserable, but apparently – uh, back then I, I stuck to it and, and got through the entire season. So I did this is for the whole season, but, um, you know, basically just try to look at the plus minus over the entirety of the season. So again, we can kind of say it's not the greatest thing to use over the course of a game, but over the course of a season, uh, you know, it's obviously bigger sample size, some of those kinds of things. And I looked at it as kind of a plus minus per minute, um, because obviously guys who are just playing a lot inherently might have the chance to, uh, you know, to, to rack up gaudier numbers. So if you looked at it on a per minute basis, OG was the top guy. Uh, I think part of that is uh, some of the competition that they played when he was in there certainly speaks to his overall importance. Uh, Tim Priller was actually second. So uh, vindic- your, many of your views on him have because been vindicated of, by because this Because of course alone. he was. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, those were so some glorious one. minutes against Purdue and Northwestern. That's another Thank one you, you probably much. threw out. But, but guys three through six... Uh, were Josh McRobert, or Zach McRoberts, uh, Deron Davis, Devontae Green, and uh, Robert Johnson, and all all of whom, uh, you know, McRoberts was was really pretty high. I think that speaks to a little bit of what he was able to do defensively. The Deron Davis thing uh, to me wasn't super shocking. Devontae was a little bit surprising, um, and then uh, you know Rojo was kind of of the guys who played a lot over the course of the entire season, the one that that ranked the best. And so then you had you know Blackman was seventh. Um, Bryant was actually 12. So of the guys that, that played a lot of minutes, he was, uh, the only guy worse on a per minute basis for plus minus was, was, uh, that, was that Freddie. Um, so yeah, well, he had to play so but... much in bad situations though. I think that that's less, speaks less about Thomas and more about the rest of the starting lineup as well. 
Yeah. yeah. Probably. Yeah. All of that probably fair. So, yeah. so interestingly, I mean, yeah, obviously when you kind of look at the raw numbers, I think there's certainly a lot that was lost when you think about what those guys did, but I think you do have some guys that were, were relatively efficient in, from that standpoint. The question is, as those guys all are asked to take on bigger roles, most of the players toward the top of this list are not guys who played a ton of minutes. So as you start to play more, um, th- does that kind of per minute piece uh, diminish at all? Our next question from Kix Milla. He says, if Darius and Romeo both commit, how will our scholarship situation look? Will someone transfer? And what would be the starting lineup for next year? We've, we've covered that first part. Obviously, Indiana will be, quote-unquote, oversigned by one, but that won't actually matter until August of 2018. So we just have to yeah. wait to see how it all plays out. There's really That's no stuff- use getting concerned about it right now. Yeah, and that stuff tends to work itself out one way or another. Especially so. with a new coach in his first year. I mean, you you kind of expect that there might be some kind of attrition, but who knows? Maybe you know, if Archie has great relationships, that might not happen. But in some sometimes, way, it'll sometimes work guys out. are on a two year plan and then it changes. That's, I mean, we don't know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's wonderful, Andy. Uh, but what would the starting lineup look like for next year? I don't know what it would look like, but I did just kind of list out all the players who would be on the roster. And it's really fun to look at. So at kind of a, a, a point guard position, you would have Darius Garland, Devontae Green, Robert Finnessy, and Al Durham. At your shooting guard position, you would have Romeo Langford, Demise Anderson, and Curtis Jones. At a small forward slot, Jerome Hunter and Justin Smith. At power forward, Juwan Morgan, Clifton Moore, and Race Thompson. And at center, Deron Davis and Jake Forrester. That is a loaded lineup. I don't even know, like how you would start to to divvy up the starting spots there. Obviously, you'd go with some with experience, and you would expect Darius and Romeo to start. But, wow, final 30 seconds. Any uh, any just thoughts or daydreams about that roster of players? I think I think half the audience just passed out from <laughs> hearing that. Yeah. Uh, that feels like a good problem to have. I don't you know. Yeah, that's, that's a great problem. That, that, is, that is not a problem. That would be an amazing, amazing roster. So, so – and. Look at that Possibly point. Way then, to end the show, right? Yeah, and at that point, I think the key is just everybody buying in and everybody having a team first attitude and doing what it takes to win. Because certainly, the players, uh, the roster would be there to do it. All righty, well, that will do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live and be part of the live chat, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Or you can always subscribe to our podcast by searching for Assembly Call wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to go to assemblycall.com slash join to join up for our free email newsletter. Thank you for listening. We will be back to talk IU hoops again with you next week. Until then, keep your elbows in and your eyes on the rim. And go Hoosiers. Thank you for being here and for listening to this episode of The Assembly Call. We appreciate it. And we really do rely on the support of audience members like you to keep our show going and to keep growing. And so we have set up a page on our website at assemblycall.com slash support that lists five ways that you can support the Assembly Call. And we encourage you to choose whichever method is the easiest and most convenient for you. One of the methods is donating, and so many of you have donated, and we appreciate it so much. On that page, you can choose a monthly recurring donation or an annual recurring donation or just a one-time donation, whatever works for you. And if you don't want to donate, another way to support the show is you can use our affiliate URLs, iutickets.shop or iustore.shop when you're going to shop for tickets or gear, and we will get paid a small commission when you use those links. But however you support the show... We appreciate it. Thank you. Sticky notes, email alerts, 
a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. Rocket Pro Insight is the innovative product designed to give real estate agents control like never before. Get full visibility into a client's loan status, adjust their approval letter amount, help them clear roadblocks, and manage it all in one place. Sign up today at rocketpro.com slash real estate and get the freedom to check a client's progress from anywhere at any time. Offer cost information and conditions. Equal housing lender. Licensed in all 50 states. MLS Consumer Access.org number 3030. Some people just know there's a better way to do things, like bundling your home and auto insurance with Allstate, or hiring someone to move your piano instead of doing it yourself. So do things the better way. Bundle home and auto and save up to 25% with Allstate. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.